This is Give Me Some Truth. This podcast features appearances from Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and myself, Mitch DeWitt, from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. Here are your hosts. back to give me some truth. Today we are going to continue our kind of mini series here of getting to know the people in the office a little bit better for uh, for those that don't. Hopefully we uh, uh, enlighten some areas that uh, people have questions about. Uh, so we're going to talk about Clint Walkner today and kind of how he got here and uh, kind of what makes him tick. We also have Kevin and Mitch in the room to be able to add add some spice to the conversation, which uh, some insight, some uh, um, maybe a view that, uh, that, that I'm not seeing. Um, Clint, let's, uh, let's start, uh, to, to, to learn a little more about you. So what was the, uh, experience like in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin growing up? It was, it was wonderful. It was well, wonderful. you didn't grow up in Menominee Falls. I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping I mean, ahead. well, I was born in, uh, I was born in Brown Deer, Wisconsin. Um, and then we moved up to Wausau for a couple That's not years. true. You didn't move to Wausau. You moved to... I moved to Roth Rothschild is actually where we moved. There no, you go. And so um, that's where I went at Rothschild Elementary School, and uh, we called those the dark years for the Walkner family because uh, they were very. Uh, my dad was basically promised a promotion, and he didn't get it um, after it was promised, and so the, he did the best thing that he could do for his family, and we moved back within two years. So Wausau was not our favorite point of our lives. Um, and then we moved back to Menominee Falls. And uh, we didn't move back. We moved to Menominee Falls, I should say. And, uh, you know, from second grade on, I, I was from I was at Menominee Falls in the elementary school system all the way up through high school. And then you went to school at UW. I did. So, um, yeah, I went to school at UW-Madison, um, spent... Unlike Nate, I spent five years there. Um, I, I say victory I spent lap. I spent four and a half years there with a victory lap with like an internship of an entire semester there. So thank you very much. Uh, I was not in the five year accounting program, even though I spent five years there. Um, so I, I graduated in accounting and marketing um, there, and so and I, I spent uh, a little bit of time in the accounting field, but not long uh, because I didn't really like it. So, but you know, I. I entertained uh, computer science background there very, very briefly while I was at school. And so I took a programming class and then I got to the elevator program uh, that I had to do, which is, you know, kind of the, the, the big moment of whether or not you figure out whether or not you're a computer programmer. And I, uh, I dropped the class. So then I ended up at uh, accounting and marketing. So I picked up my uh, marketing degree kind of as an afterthought because I needed just a couple extra classes, uh, much like Nate did when he had to pick up his, uh, you know, extra finance degree. And so, um, so I was going to live and breathe accounting. And then out of school, I decided that uh, I was going to join National Futures Association. And so that was the oversight regulatory organization for the commodities industry. So I joined them and I you know, spent a year in Chicago, uh, living in Lincoln Park. And uh, then I 
I had a great time in Lincoln Park, but uh, I, I did not have <laughs> a great, great time, time in Lincoln Park. Is like saying <laughs> I, I enjoy driving the Ferrari. Yeah, like, of course, exactly right. it, nobody says they didn't <laughs> enjoy living in Lincoln Park. <laughs> so I was on Clark and Wrightwood, right, kind of by the uh, uh, what is that 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 hot dog stand where there's a big reputation. Wiener Circle. The Wiener Circle. That's right. And I got yelled at some nights uh, at the Wiener Circle. So it was great. I mean, I had a great time in the city. I did not have a great time at my job, which I was a staff auditor, which basically meant that. I, I had to go. Um, we'd fly out to these these wonderful places in audit commodities firms. So I'd go to Mankato, Minnesota, and I'd sit down with this uh, this tiny, tiny uh, you know commodities shop, and I would help audit their books. And no offense to Mankato. No, no, <laughs> it's lovely. It's lovely. It's very lovely in the winter, which is when we went. And uh, yeah, so we'd sit down and we'd sit with the principals of the firm, and we would audit them and freak them out because they thought that you know. We were the oversight regulatory organization, and they thought that you know we were going to go shut them down. Of course, um, most people don't like seeing auditors come to their business. That's very like valid. My dad's an auditor, and like when he shows up, you know, people aren't usually happy. You don't like. Oh, He's not hey, bringing it's a an coffee auditor. cake and just <laughs> yeah, saying no. how's it going. Hello. So it just kind of comes with the job. But it, yeah, and ergo, that's why I'm no longer in it because uh, you know I, I I would rather have people visit me and like me. So um, All right, let's take a detour just for one yeah. second. So help people understand. Because um, of your experience uh, in auditing, um, I think people have a hard time understanding in this industry when firms go bad or things go bad or um, it's you know is how did this never get found kind of thing. I mean, talk a little bit about from an audit standpoint and from a principles of the firm standpoint. Kind of, I mean, I, I don't want to. The Bernie Madoff is, is the obvious you know six hundred pound um, gorilla example, but I mean, kind of a, a, how does that happen? when a firm can still be bad after it's been audited. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of times when you can um, y- you, know, you can hide certain things, and that's why the auditors go in and they look at um, they look at cash receipts. You know, they see where the money's going in, where it's going out. Um, they look at, you know, in the commodities industry, the big problem was is that uh, it was advertising. And, you know, we looked a lot at advertising. I spent a bunch of time reviewing a lot of that. And, and you get these crazy ads where, you know, and I'm sure everybody on this podcast has heard them before, but hey, uh, going into the end of the year here, heating oil futures are heating up because obviously everybody's going to use a lot more heating oil, you know, mostly in the, in the Northeast and uh, everyone's going to use more heating oil. So therefore the price is bound to go up. Well, <laughs> you don't just invest in futures contracts with the anticipation that they're going to go up just because it's the winter. I think that's been priced in, but I mean, people are being taken advantage of and that's just one example of that. And so we would go in and, and check that and just make sure that their advertising was not too, was not using um, too much puffery or, you know, too much... Uh, promissory. Yeah, they did make promissory statements or they wouldn't use proper disclosure. And so we'd check a lot about that. And then we did check a lot of receipts and find where the money was going in and out. And, you know, those are the, the periods of time you, you know, you check their statements and check everything because a lot of those firms could custody their assets in-house. And so, um, you know, those were the more involved audits. And I, as a staff auditor there, being a pretty new one, I, I didn't get a lot of that. But there were a couple major firms that National Futures Association did bring down. And uh, Peregrine was one of the, the main stories there. And they were trying to get them all the way back 
when I was an auditor there, and they would go through some brutal audits. And uh, they, they would try to kind of, they knew that these firms had so many different issues, but they couldn't get them. And, you know, and oftentimes you'd read in the future, you know, and I've followed it, that National Future Association or the CFTC would come in and they'd actually get these firms. So it's kind of an amazing deal. So I think in, in some ways people look at, at auditing, and again, I don't want to get lost in that in that rabbit hole, but um, it's not a yes, no. In other words, it's not a, it's a good firm, it stays in business, it's a bad firm, we shot them down. There's a massive gray area where an auditor might realize that there's some problems here, but it's not enough to be able to warrant shutting the firm down. Is that a fair statement? That's very fair. And I think that some people, you know, even do it today, if we take it in the securities industry, I mean, some people make some sort of, uh, maybe not promissory statements, but definitely puffing up what they actually do. Um, and therefore, uh, you know, is that, um, you know, is that a red flag from compliance? The answer is, well, it does make, uh, you know, your hackles go up a little bit and check it a little bit closer. So, um, you know, it's just one of those situations where you're looking at certain things a little closer when you line up certain, uh, you know, you line up those gray area things and then all of a sudden it becomes a red flag. You want to take a hackle, hackles, Kevin, you want to take a look? Is that, is, is that a word? I, I don't know that that's a word. Yeah. I'm not going to say with confidence either way. Okay. Let's dictionary.com this. I thought I'm, it's, I thought it's the hair right on the back of your neck is basically called hackles, correct? <laughs> let's see. Okay. Hackle. Okay. Coming yep. up. Plural noun, hairs along the back oh, of a dog or other animal. Gracious. So, I mean, it's it's wow. specifically talking about, like, animals, like dogs and <laughs> yeah, birds. Yeah, that's exactly my usage. So, yes. okay. It yeah. seems like a strange analogy to make. Okay, yeah, we checked it. He's good. Carry oh, on. Because it's that sort of, like, animal sense is what oh, that meant. Good. So, you know, yeah. Uh, come on. I like it. Hey, it's, 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 it's a word. It's, it was a completely pass, fair pass usage. I'm, I, we were just checking. All right, so you uh, you did not pursue a future in commodities, and you went on to uh, bigger and brighter things. Well, I wanted to pursue a uh, a job with a commodities firm. Actually, um, I, I took my Series Three, and I was going to become a commodities trader. I was very intrigued by that. And what happened was, I had my my uh, boxes were actually packed. I had on the side of the boxes, you know, California, and that's where I was going to go um, to be a commodities trader. And then the commodities industry, the job that I kind of had fell apart at the same time of the commodities industry, just totally imploding. Um, you know, this was like around, what was it, 2000, uh, 2001, around there, and, and the commodities industry just fell apart. And actually, a lot of that electronic trading happened. And so, I mean, the industry itself, um, with the tech bust, those jobs kind of went away. So I, I kind of wanted to try to figure something out there. So um, after that, I... I Spent a very brief amount of time going through Ameriprise's training program uh, when I got back. It's because I figured, hey, I like, I like finance. I want to do something in financial services. So I, I went through their program, and we had uh, like four or five people in our training class. And if you failed a test, you got fired. That was the kind of deal there. So um, so I was the last person standing taking my Series 66 out of our group. And uh, I passed that. Um, and then they told me, okay, well, come on in on Saturday then, because we, we got our phone bank where we all call that day, and you can beginning learning your 14-page script about financial planning, and then we're going to call all your friends and family, so bring in the book of all of them, and that's how you're going to do it. And I just said, I'm not doing this. So then I, I just said, I, I quit. I'm not doing it. And then they asked me the big question there, which, you know, at that time they had put some resources into me and they said, Clint, do you think you're going to stay into financial services? And, and as an afterthought, I was like, I, I don't know. I, you know, I was kind of burned out of the deal. I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. I, I don't think I'm going to. And they never came after me for that uh, because they, they probably could have. 
Yeah, we're well past the statute of limitations by this time, <laughs> uh, so I can I can disclose that. Um, but then after that, I, I still looked at financial services jobs, and then uh, MetLife Resources, uh, a job with them came up, and they're a tiny division of MetLife uh, at the time that did mostly tax-sheltered annuities with school teachers and administrators. And so I, I got a job with them. And the, the main thing that I asked with them was, is there an existing book of business because I refuse to just call on the friends and family and, and do that. So I wanted kind of a warm book of business because um, I'm I'm a, a decent guided network. I'm fr- I consider myself to be friendly and everything like that, but I, I'm not I'm not an extrovert. I'm not this extreme extrovert that I think it really requires uh, to be able to do that. So I'm like a cold call salesman. I, I'm definitely, yeah, yeah. I give that a five to you, don't I? Kevin? Yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah. That's exactly what I pictured you as. <laughs> so that's not me. So I went into uh, MetLife Resources. And, and just like uh, we talked about in the last podcast with Nate, you know, I, I spent hours and hours in the principal's office. His name was Tim, Tim Sackett, um, you know, and he was a great mentor to me and he put up with everything that I did, which was just ask him a thousand questions and bother him about everything. And I learned the industry that way. And he was a phenomenal mentor to me as were the other people in the office, um, Scott Goodwin and, and Tate Bowes and, and Donald Hins. Uh, they were all there in the industry with me. And I sat in that office and listened to well, a whole bunch of crazy stories and also um, just went through so many different things and learned the, the business then. So how did the background in accounting and auditing prepare you for financial planning? And then even furthermore, now you're, you're a business owner on top of that. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that it just, it helps that I, I was good with numbers um, that way. I was always intrigued and I was always kind of entrepreneurial when I was uh, growing up. You know, I, I ran a baseball card business with my dad and we got to see like the boom and bust of the baseball card business. Um, I learned all my sales skills from selling shoes at warehouse shoes. I mean, it's just kind of funny little things like that you pick up along the way that I think makes you who you are. I think that it, it made me who I was. Um, I wasn't a great college student. I mean, I, I had like a 2A, two 2.9, two something like that for a GPA. So I was not an honor roll um, student. I was, I was a very mediocre student. Um, but I, I think that I, I learned enough skills over that period of time to make myself better. I mean, um, I handle some of the, you know, some of the marketing, especially before Kevin came, um, I handled a bunch of that. Um, so I mean, some of that came from my marketing background and, and then I just, I do like numbers, um, cause they make sense to me in my brain. Um, I'm more a left, a left brain type of guy. Um, so I, I think that that's how I, I gain that and glean that knowledge. But you're also musically talented as well. I, I was in the marching band for, for four years. And, and so this is what I think is interesting about musicians. You know, some musicians, like my brother's very right-brained. He's a, um, you know, he plays drums and he's he's brilliant. Uh, but he can just play extemporaneously. He can play whenever he wants, whatever he wants. You know, any style, you could just tell him and he'd play it. And he'd, you know, he'd be excellent at it. And you'd be amazed at how he can do it. I needed to play the written note on the page and I was good at that. Um, so that's, that's why I always liked being in, in quartets and things like that. It all made sense to me and my brain play the notes on the page. And I love the team aspect of it, but, um, you know, I would try to do jazz and I was brutal jazz musician. I mean, I was just not any good at it. A little so more impris- improvisation yes, involved there. You I am the technical, like just play this. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it did me well there. But that's also why I was never like first chair. I was always like second chair, you know, in high school and things like that because I, I just couldn't do that sort of playing where it's like, here, Clint, play. And I'm like, eh. and And I'm also an efficiency guy. I didn't need to be first chair. That didn't, that didn't matter to me. What mattered to me is that I, I put in 
a, a reasonably good amount of effort into practicing and things like that, but I didn't like to practice my instrument. So I got up to this certain level where I was, I was good to be one of the top, but I didn't have to be elite because I knew I wasn't going to go to college for that. So I was, I was enjoying it more, I think, from that perspective where it wasn't going to be some sort of career or some sort of like, you know, I needed to be good enough to get in the UW marching band, marching band, which is not an easy thing to do, but I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta have some chops to play and you have to be physically in shape. And I was, so that's what I was able to do. And I didn't want to be the you know, I was a rank leader, but I wasn't like the best rank leader over there at, at UW either. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing about my, how I like to be efficient and I, I don't, you know, I like to be good at what I do, but I also like to do it in an efficient manner where I'm not going to work 80 hours in a week. I refuse to do that. Um, there's other things aside from work. And so I feel very strongly about that. I think I can put in 40 to, you know, 50 hours a week and, and do my job in the best way possible and not take away from my family. I got asked in my podcast uh, what I learned from golf, because you and I love golf. Um, and I'm at a different level in terms of golf than you are. What I'm curious about is your level of golf. What do you learn from golf that helps you in this business? So first of all, I was a humble brag. Seriously. Um, I'm yeah. at a totally different level than you, but I guess I can ask you this Because I didn't want the same answer. That's why. We're, that's, just, we're just kidding. That's what I wanted. No, I wanted no, a I, true and honest answer. No, what I, want, what I want to do, because, so I want to say this, Nate has been my golf partner forever. You know, he's been my golf partner forever. Um, so we, we play a ton of rounds together and we play on the same team very frequently. So I am not going to answer that question because I'm going to pose it right back to you, Nate. And I'm going to say, what do you think the answer to that is, Nate? Is that allowed in these podcasts? Yeah. Can, can I? Can I want to hear? Is it's this reflective for me? Projected back on this isn't all about. When are there rules? Right. Like, right, fine. There's no like structure to what, this. What, <laughs> what do you learn about me being my partner? <laughs> what I learn about you, um, with you as as my partner on the golf course, is I see certain shots and certain stri- uh, strategic um, kind of situations on the golf course a certain way. And it's interesting to play with you because you see it in a different way than, than how my brain sees it. And so, first of all, it helps me to kind of understand that um, there, there's not just one way to do whatever the, the shot is in, in, in front of you. And second of all, that the creativity that's, that's um, in my brain is different than the creativity in your brain um, in, in terms of how things get seen. So that's the first thing. Um, and the second thing is um, the efficiency that you talk about is interesting because of um, the, the shortest distance between you and some point is always a straight line, right? But in golf, it doesn't necessarily give you the lowest score. And so your brain <laughs> tends to look at the ball and where it lies, uh, maybe not in the fairway all the time, and where the hole is Infrequently. and go, well, if I just take a straight line, that's the most efficient way to get the ball in the hole. And you're right from a logistical standpoint, but getting the ball to there on a straight line might not be the most efficient way to do it. So it's been interesting to uh, to kind of have that be more enlightened, um, not just in a business setting, but in a sports setting. Well, that's very true. And <laughs> everything he says is 100% accurate, too. And so um, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a risk taker, and, and I agree with with Nate in that, uh, you know, I think the hardest part, one of the hardest parts for me is, is, and I, I actually made this an initiative for myself in 2017 is to become more self-aware. 
And it's hard to be self-aware. You can't see yourself. You'll never be able to see yourself. And so I, I think it's very difficult to do that. And so, you know, I, I, I sometimes, and, and Nate would, can definitely talk to this, but I, I mean, sometimes I see things in a certain way and it's, it's very black and white. How, is it, how I see things. This way is right. I know I'm right. I'm very confident about that. Kevin can probably speak to that too. Um, so there was an eye roll right there. If you didn't uh, yeah. hear that, Kevin, I you might have actually heard that because it was dramatic. Thoughts? It was it was a big eye roll. You might have actually audibly been able to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know, I do see things very black and white. So I've I've attempted and tried to not do that as much, and so. Uh, that's that's been an interesting thing for me to try to learn that, and I try to learn from Nate on the golf course because Nate's Nate's a much better golfer than I, am. Um, and and I do try to take shots that I shouldn't take. And what I really need to do is, you know, it's that sort of man thing that we all have. Um, it's that that thing of if I lay up or if I hit this shot, I see it as giving up, and somehow that's failing. And it's not. Sometimes if you hit the ball into the into the woods, you shouldn't try to hit that miraculous six iron cut shot to the front of the green, which is what I like to do um, because of two reasons. Number one, I, I don't want to give up ever. Um, and so I, I want to try to make the par still. And, and number number two, it's just that it's more fun for me. Like, you know, Nate, Nate is very comp- extremely competitive. And, you know, I, at some pace points, I just like, I just want to go for the shot, Nate. I just want to hit the shot and see if I can hit it. And so, you know, Come on, Nate, and let Nate, me do it. Nate would let go, me, let me do it. That's Nate. pretty much it. Where uh, Nate always jokes with me. I, I, I got please, this shot. Can I please do the shot, Nate? <laughs> and Nate's in my ear being my partner. Like, come on, Clint, we're just trying to make the best score here because, you know, you're getting a stroke on this hole. So don't try to hit the miraculous shot. You can hit two out of 10 times. Just punch it out into the fairway. Hit it up. Maybe you one putt. You probably two putt. Get away here with a bogey, you dumbass, and let's get out of here. So that, that's that's what he's thinking, and then he's telling me, and then I'm like, no, okay, I got this. I'm fine. I'm fine. So sometimes I I win, and sometimes I lose, and it's fine. It's, it's I need a little bit more fun sometimes, and that leads to higher scores. I agree. And it's it's interesting how we how we run the firm because we it's a similar in, in a lot of ways that. Um, you know, it's it's a kind of the happy medium of kind of how we do it is what kind of makes it so that it's successful as opposed to, um, you know, just two two different paths that are running parallel to one another at the same time. So I think that's that's great. Um, all right, one last question before we wrap up here. So, um, in terms of what you do within the firm, kind of help people understand that. Um, you know, when we're not in meetings, when we're not sitting right in front of a client or talking on the phone to a client. Um, what things fill up your day and kind of what does that role look like? Um, even on a day where we might not have any appointments at all, um, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I handle a lot of the, the trading um, for our firm. So I handle almost every one of the, the trades. And so we set up models um, inside. We have to do a lot of investment uh, research and investment management there. So that's one of my main roles with the firm is that I have to make sure that that is running smoothly. Um, if we have cash management things, I have to free up the money for people. I have to make sure that we're, uh, you know, doing well with cost basis situations. Um, and then Nate and I work, um, hand in hand. So I'll, I'll do a bunch of the trades. He does the cash management, making sure it gets out, making sure it gets to the right account, making sure that all of that happens on that side. Um, and then I have the, um, great responsibility because I, you know, Apparently, had one year of staff audit at National Futures Association, so I end up with the uh, CCO role. So I am the chief compliance officer of our firm. So that means that uh, you know there's a lot of compliance in our industry, and I think that uh, you know we try to minimize that for clients; so they don't have to see it all the time. 
uh, but it's everywhere in our business. Um, there is extensive uh, note-taking. There's extensive, uh, you know, disclosure and everything that we have to do and a lot of I's to dot and a lot of T's to cross. So, um, you know, I do a lot of that work as well in the firm. And then, um, you know, the last thing that I, I do is I, I bring a lot of the um, technology packages to the team. So I do a lot of research um, that way. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've got a lot of that on my plate and we're always looking at technology and we want to have best in class technology. We're very, uh, we're very big on that. Um, not only from an efficiency standpoint, but we want our clients to feel like they're getting the information presented to them in the cleanest fashion possible, um, that everything's very accessible, um, you know, and that they're getting a great experience from top to bottom. And so, uh, we really spend a lot of time, uh, assessing our technology and making sure that, that it's all running smoothly. And because we have so many different systems, we have to make sure that they integrate flawlessly together. Yeah. I think that one of the best pieces of advice that you and I have ever gotten was from, uh, um, a speaker that we saw that said, if you're not changing at least one technology package that you have per year, you're falling behind. Um, and I think that that was an interesting and kind of eye opening. um, thought and I think you and I kind of took that to heart to say okay that's let's not try to force a new one in every single year but at the same time let's actively be looking at it and if it means that we change one every year um, we're not uh, we're not going overboard we're likely um, keeping pace because that's what most firms are looking at doing that's exactly right and uh, you know I love technology so I, I you know I love looking at it all and you know, much like the golf course analogy that we made, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I like and then uh, Nate and I talk about it and then we, we find and, and come to a, a decision then together collectively on what we should implement so we don't end up with, you know, 30, 30 different technology companies, which is probably what I would do if I was left to my own devices. So uh, it's good that Nate has the editing skill there um, because otherwise uh, you guys would be like, what are you doing, Clint? So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we hope you uh, enjoyed learning a little bit more about Clint. We're going to um, wrap up and uh, be back to you with another episode real soon of uh, Give Me Some Truth. Um, Obviously, if you uh, found this valuable and you want to share it with friends, don't uh, hesitate to do so. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner and Nate Condon are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Kevin Castro is an office manager and marketing communications specialist for Walkner Condon Financial Advisors. He is not registered, and his participation in this podcast is limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments he makes be construed as giving investment advice. Insurance products and services are offered through WC Insurance Services, LLC, Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, and WC Insurance Services, LLC, are affiliated companies. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, 
risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not promise or guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.